You are listening to episode 272 on University of Adversity. To, to state that, it, that it's our job as individuals to hone ourselves, is it can't be overstated. And it sounds cliche, but it is, it is the way forward. Mm-hmm. And from that, to build community, to centralize, not worrying about decentralizing big banks and all that stuff, but literally to centralize power with our own food, our own clean water, our own power, and literally our own power. So we're not you know, becoming an Amish community where we don't use electricity, but we are integrated with the grid, but not dependent upon the grid. I'm about to do a podcast here in an hour with a guy named Joyous Hart, who's working to do that very thing here in Texas. And I have a deep calling for that because of the fact that with that, we're allowed to then show a model of how things can work going forward. We're in tune as we heal ourselves, we heal the land and we care for the land that we're on. Life is gonna give you challenges, struggles. It's gonna force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. And we are back. What is happening, everybody? This is your first time dropping in the University of Adversity. Welcome to the family. All you regular listeners, welcome back. Our guest today is a retired MMA UFC fighter who fought from 2006 to 2014 and is well known for being casted in the TV show, The Ultimate Fighter. He has now completely changed paths and his life has transformed in so many ways. And a lot of it has happened because of psychedelics. And he unpacks a lot of that today. Psychedelics have been a huge part of his life and a huge part of his transition into spirituality and into this realm that he is in now. He is also a coach from my one-year-long Aubrey Marcus Fit for Service Fellowship, the mastermind I've been in that I've talked to you guys about, had a lot of the, the past members on here. They all have such incredible stories. And now we get to drop in with Kyle. Uh, Kyle is a powerful dude, one of the most knowledgeable dudes I think I've ever met, and he's really educated me this year on open relationships, psychedelics, human optimization, all of that stuff. For today's conversation, we we got 45 minutes of fire, so I loaded him up with some big questions, as you'll see, but I wanted to cover a lot. So what you can expect to take away from this episode, you guys, is what is going on in this crazy world and how can you get out of this. What is it? What can you do? That's a main factor in this conversation as well as mental health and how can psychedelics help? If you guys can walk away with answers to those questions, I promise you it'll change your life. And Kyle really unpacks all of that. So if you guys need need to pause it, pause it because there's a lot of information coming at you in a short period of time. If you need a pen and paper or your phone, whatever you need to do, do it. If you are brand new to the show, please subscribe wherever you're listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, head over there and subscribe also. And if you do get value from this, please share this with a friend or leave us a five-star review. Kyle is also the host of the Kyle Kingsbury podcast, which is available on all spots as well as YouTube. That's where I love to watch it is when I eat dinner, I watch podcasts. I watch his, Aubrey's, and Joe Rogan's on rotation. Kyle's been on Joe Rogan quite a few times also. So if you want to get into his little bit of his backstory, there's lots of time for that also. But we really focus on what's going on today and how we can get out of this crazy chaos that we're in. So without further ado, Kyle Kingsbury coming right up. 
Here we go. Kyle Kingsbury, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Lance. Fuck yeah, man. Coming off a massive summit in Sedona. You know, it's been a few weeks. It's been incredible, you know, for, for myself. And, you know, first of all, like, how is it for someone like for you being a coach after a weekend like that? Like how, like what do you walk away with and how are you feeling right now? Well, I'm, I'm always beaming, you know, these, these experiences, you know, we've, we're in our sophomore year with fit for service. So to see what it's morphed into is well beyond anything I or Aubrey had imagined. And, um, you know, the thing that I find curious is that each one of these summits gets actually, it's better and it's not just better for the group. Obviously we're, we're continuing to grow and learn what works and what doesn't, but it's better for me. So my, my personal medicine, the downloads that I take in, from these events has grown exponentially. And, and really I saw that jump this year, you know, starting off in Tulum, but it was fairly significant when we met in Tahoe because obviously it was the first time anyone had met face to face that trimester, but specifically because of quarantine and because of all the stuff that's going on in the world, you know, to be able to gather, to hug each other, to see the faces, you know, and, and to exchange that energy face to face as opposed to just through a computer screen is, is a whole world different. And it was a palpable feeling, you know, and, and um, you know, then you fast forward to Sedona and uh, everything that we did there from the, the experiences from the ecstatic dance with Parangi playing live for the first time all year since the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, the workshop where I thought, cool, I'm going to talk on some warrior archetype stuff and just have a day to chill. And, you know, <laughs> we go through the male archetypes, the female archetypes. And then when we get to the sacred union with uh, Christine Hassler and, and Stefano, it was just, I was blown away. I mean, there wasn't a single person there that wasn't cracked wide open. And, um, you know, to have those piggyback on one another and then to lead, you know, the breath work with Anahata and Aubrey and the other people there, um, and then to finish with the soul wander with Tim Corcoran, that was our second time doing a soul wander. I've actually had Tim on my podcast to break that down. So for people listening that have no idea what this is, uh, check out my podcast with Tim Corcoran because it's something that's, I wanted him to make available to everyone. I think that that piece with nature where we can tune in to the eco field and start to get downloads from, you know, real life animals, plants, you know, insects, those kind of things and, and start that communication it's a visceral experience, you know, and, and talking about it, it's like talking about psychedelics until you've done it. There's no real way to understand that. And um, I just think, you know, for myself, being able to go, not just coach, but go through those experiences with you guys and, and in my own way, um, it's been powerful. It's been really powerful. I mean, it's like spending a week in the Amazon and coming back after four nights with ayahuasca. It's that level of development, that level of downloads. And I think for, for, myself just as much as everyone in the group it's really important to actually rest when i get back and start to put that put the pen to pad talk about my experiences um tim's really big on mirroring you know not just journaling yeah. but sitting in front of somebody and and having that exchange through story through through what that is to lock in the gems of of what took place as a way to unpack that and integrate it and i think that's been a big help for me too because you know, none of us are finished products and I'm, I'm constantly learning. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about fit for service is that not only does it create an impetus and a reason for me to want to learn more, but it gives me the opportunity in the container to do so. Yeah. You know, dude, I've learned a lot from you this year. And, you know, even before all this, I really, I loved your ability to always be curious and learn. And, you know, especially 
right now with what's going on in the world with all the fear and all the bullshit going on, I, I couldn't think of a better situation for all of us to be going through in order to make that actual change happen in the world. You know, us getting together and, and doing that, like I had such a fucking profound week, man, like so many things shifted for me. And, and that just brings me to where we are in the world right now. You know, there's just, and what I've really loved is your perspective on this. And, you know, everybody listening, make sure you check out Kyle's podcast. Obviously, it's, it's fire. And, you know, when you had Mickey Willis on talking about that aspect of what's going on with fear and the craziness going on in the world, man, I mean, we, we need more of this kind of work. We need more of people getting together as a collective to work on ourselves which is going to be the thing that causes the ripple to happen, right? And, you know, what we've been able to experience with Fit for Service is really kind of the medicine that's, that's helped me in making the change. So where I want to go is just kind of like talk about right now the state of the world. And, you know, the last eight months have been crazy. Where, what have you really learned about yourself, about the world, and where do you think as a collective, like, how do we get out of this? Like, what do we do moving forward as a solution? <laughs> that's, that's, that is as loaded a question <laughs> as I've ever received. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's so many ways to take this. I think for me, when quarantine hit, I actually had physical trouble in my body. My body was in a lot of pain. And I knew there was some mental, emotional aspects to that. I hadn't read The Body Keeps Score. I still haven't read it. But <clears throat> my understanding of how visceral fear can start to manifest in the body through disease, through sickness, through uh, physical pain, through parts of the body literally shutting down. And Paul checks to discuss this for, you know, 30 years. So um, I had to review some of my stuff with him, some of the teachings that I've had with him. But, you know, really what it boils down to is when shit hits the fan when there is an impetus whether it's external or internal how we respond to that actually matters and and it's our ability to stay within the eye of the hurricane that allows us to see clearly to think calmly and to make clear-headed decisions from the heart where we choose not based on fear but we choose a path that makes the most sense for us in that time and it doesn't mean that we're that it doesn't mean I'm perfect that I make perfect uh, decisions every time. All the mistakes are a lesson. Everything is a teaching. And as I come to that understanding, it's easier to have compassion for myself. It's easier to have forgiveness for myself for the mistakes that I make when I don't parent correctly or when I'm in a state of fear and that manifests in anger towards my wife or someone else. Um, as my awareness grows, it becomes easier to navigate those waters and see where I've made mistakes and then not hold that upon myself. And the reason I bring that up from a me self perspective is because all of this is reflected in the outside world. Until I have compassion for myself, I cannot have compassion for another. Until I forgive myself, I cannot forgive another. And what we see in the divide and conquer scheme that's been going on for at least 10,000 years on earth is this further and further, the widening, the division. And we mm -hmm. see it right now. And, and I, I really don't care who you voted for, I voted, and it's pointless to even mention who I voted for, but whoever you voted for in a time like this where we have 
uncertainty about who's going to wind up in office. And you listen to the stories on the left, you listen to the stories on the right, and they are quite, they could not be closer (laughs) to or further apart. They are so different and so vast. And there's people making shit up on the left and people making shit up on the right. And there's some truth in all of it. And I think, you know, just understanding that really the point in bringing all this up is if I let myself move out to those extremes, I feel the division. I don't see a way out. I don't see a way to navigate the waters because they're too rough and there's no way to collapse that. But if I can collapse that within myself, if I can start to see from both angles on what what are the beliefs? What are the things that we agree upon? What are the things that we want to see happen? And then what are the ways to navigate that better? First and foremost, we have to stop blaming one another. You know, Mary Margrave taught me this about anger. A lot of us have been taught to, to stuff our anger, to not really look into that. But that is one of the ways the feminine speaks through us is through our emotional body. And we have to honor every emotion that comes up because they're signals. And so if someone transgresses me or if I allow that transgression to take place, now it's a double whammy because I've transgressed myself in allowing the transgression to take place. Anger will usually be the response to that. Sadness coupled with anger. And she says, in a state of rage, we aim to destroy. In a state of unclean anger, which we see on both sides, we aim to hurt or harm another either through physical violence or through our words, but there's the the telltale signs of unclean anger are blame and resentment. You did this to us. This is how you're going to repay me. And then if we can shift from that into clean anger, we aim for resolution. Clean anger aims to resolve. And that's been a very beautiful template for me because in the experience of all that's happening, it's really easy to finger point. It's really easy to say, you know, uh, the left is in bed with China and we're going to turn into a socialist communist nation and taxes are going to go up and we're going to have to wear masks for the rest of our lives and get, uh, you know, become guinea pigs for a brand new vaccine that's never been tested before. And then on the right, you're a conspiracy theorist, right wing, um, racist, biggest white supremacist. You know, you see these little boxes that we put each other in. And again, there may be a certain layer of truth or there has been a layer of that truth in the past that someone will grab and then add layers of complexity to that may or may not exist. And so the point is to see through that, to see through the separate nature of each other and to see the unity in all of us, to look past our differences and at the same time recognize those differences as important. Jonathan Haidt wrote a book called The Righteous Mind where he really breaks down the importance of that. In a tribal setting, about half the people were super liberal. And they'd, if another tribe came along, they'd welcome them in. And then another half of the tribe were conservative. And they say, hey, those guys might have diseases. They might want to rape and pillage. Let's be cautious about who we let in. And he goes through this narrative through a thousand different ways on how we on a genetic level are tuned in to one version of politics a little bit more than the other. It doesn't mean people can't switch sides. It doesn't mean people don't grow. And it doesn't, it certainly doesn't mean that there's not a large fucking group of people right now who are far more in the center of this thing than the extreme left or the extreme right. I certainly find myself there these days, even though I've been on both sides of the fence. And so the point in this is how do we navigate the waters? Well, first we have to understand that piece on anger. We have to understand that if we're finger pointing, if we're looking to get eye for an eye, if we're looking to um, enact some type of revenge on another, 
that's no way forward. It doesn't mean we don't set boundaries. It doesn't mean we don't get clear on what's happening in the world. And it, and it certainly doesn't mean that we don't defend ourselves. But at the same point, as we hold people accountable, a level of forgiveness must be there. It has to be there or there's no way forward. You know, and I see that on both sides. I see, you know, right-wing people calling out uh, people on the left saying, you know, you, you had this, this problem, you know, for four years, you've talked about the Russia scandal and now you've just forget that and brush it under the rug once it was proved false. And now you have trouble saying that there might be election, you know, fraud on the right. And, and it just goes back and forth on this finger pointing. And the whole thing is we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who's going to go in. If we can settle down and understand what actually matters then we can start to make clear decisions. Well, whoever's in office, we should not go running away from nature. That is fucking physically impossible. Dr. Zach Bush said that on my podcast, you cannot outrun nature. The air has encircled this globe many, many, many times since March when we were told to put masks on and stay inside. For two weeks, I talked about this on the COVID, the solo podcast I did on COVID. For two weeks, we had a dust storm here across the entire Gulf Coast. In Texas, for two weeks, we could see the sunset and the sunrise with this beautiful dust, and it affected all of our allergies and our breathing. And I was like, hmm, where's this from? It came from the Saharan Desert in Africa. If sand particulate can travel across the Atlantic and hang out over us for two weeks, what do you think an airborne virus has done? We've all been exposed to this many, many, many times over, and there's tons of real stats on the mortality rate, and you have a 99.76% chance of surviving this. So why shut down the economy? Why run from this? Why, why increase suicides and debt and all the other things going on? Well, if you keep digging into that, you might find that maybe that's by design. And with that, that might make your head explode, or it might make you worry, or, or if you lean into that, it might make more fear be, be the current state of being. But remember, all of these things are simply to point out what the real truths are in this world. And of course, I'm just cherry picking little gems from the people that I've talked to on my podcast from Dr. Paul Saladino to, uh, of course, Mickey Willis and Del Bigtree and many of the doctors that they've learned from. The point isn't to just simply state some, some you know, Gatling gun bullet points and say that that's it. Look into it for yourself. Understand, ask a question. Why, why is it that we have never reacted to nature in this way before do we think that we're just like the big bugs going to come and wipe us all out because of the vast numbers of people on the planet certainly we have the ability to spread things more but nature is not against us and when we're in harmony or as the native americans say within the sacred hoop within harmony of all our relations we're not going to get sick if i have my health and my health is my number one priority in life i'm going to get if i catch a cold i'm going to survive it and I had a solo podcast January 6th. I've never been that sick in my life. I'm certain that we had this yeah. back in December. Christmas Day, I shit the bed. I've never crapped my bed and slept in it in my entire life from any cold. And eight days go by with sweating and, and, and diarrhea, and I'm good. Mm. You know? So, I mean, I, I think that's something we have to understand. Like, every year, there are colds that wipe out people who have comorbidity. It's not a nihilist view to just say, yeah, well, I'll kill off the elderly. That's fine. They had, they lived their lives. It's not that it at all. But if you haven't taken your health seriously and you're dependent upon Western medicine, which does nothing for preventative health, 
then then you got no legs to stand on. You made your bed. And I'm saying right now, the beautiful thing about this is we have the ability in very short time to increase our health. Paul Saladino talked about that. He did a podcast with NutriSense that does a, a, a continuous glucose monitor. And what they found is in a matter of two weeks, you can shift your body from a state of illness into a state of uh, at least moderate health where you're going to be able to survive things you normally wouldn't be able to survive. And I think that's, that's got to be a big priority for us. But the point in mentioning health and mentioning all these things is that what this has done, the pressure of this has exposed many cracks that we have, cracks in our education system, cracks in health, health care or sick care system, as Rob Wolf puts it. Um, it's exposed cracks in our financial system. And it's, it's exposed a lot of cracks in our government. And that's on both sides of the equation for sure. And really, we do start to see some of this stuff that looks a little bit more globalist. And I think for people that have you know heard that word tossed around by an Alex Jones or a David Icke, it can be a bit dis, uh, you know a bit a bit alarming. Where it's like, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can buy into this because of who it's coming from, and it sounds like a pro wrestler saying it to me. But it is it is a truth that we all have to acknowledge. I mean, it's hard it, to it, ignore. It it's hard to ignore now at this point. There's no doubt. And uh, I think a great book for people to dive into is The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. And, you know, the, the sad truth is that the United States of America really did start this globalist campaign. And if everybody wants to blame China and communism and all these other things, it was the U.S. that started this. I've been to a lot of countries in the Middle East or Southeast Asia as the, uh, the tours I would go on would state. Countries we're not supposed to be in, but we are there. And, um, with a military presence. And when he goes through in his book, it just, it is quite illuminating how the CIA will take out a head of a government and replace them with somebody who's going to follow the line and allow big oil companies to take over. And, and um, you just can't look past this stuff. You know, my, my point in bringing it up is in all of the crap that's happening in the world right now, it's important to understand there is a globalist agenda. It's important to understand that is real. And it doesn't just come from an Alex Jones. It doesn't just come from a David Icke. It comes from all sorts of people, uh, liberals, as well as conservatives who really understand what's happening in the world right now. And these systems of control are huge. Mm. So one of the down, the big downloads that I've been getting on plant medicine and intuition and meditation and being on the land and nature is one of the most important things we can do is centralize. You know, we talk about this king archetype and king warrior, magician, lover. The king mm -hmm. starts with self. I am the king of my own inner kingdom. How I manage that is 100% up to me. It's not up to anyone else. Um, I'm not a victim of circumstance. Some shit's happened to me, no question, but I don't remain in that space because I'm always my inner king. And then I'm the king of my my relationship. My wife is the queen. I am the king of the kingdom of family. I'm the king of the kingdom of work. I'm the king of the kingdom of community. Even if I'm not the mayor or whatever the fucking top dog is politically, I'm still how I show up mm. in that community is as a king, whatever that looks like. And, you know, there's much more on that archetype to get into, but the point is that it always starts with self right? To be the change you wish to see in the world. And then from there, that trickles out into everyone we are closest to and beyond that. Paul Chet calls this the I, we all model. Mm. You know, when we're kids, we're stuck in this I model of thinking, me, 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 my, 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 mine. And then we, we fall in love. And now we have a we model. We have somebody else that we care about outside of ourselves. And if we add a third, uh, like a child, 
you know, then we, we start to realize that love moves past that. If we, we really love our city or we love our football team or we love our community, we love our nation, we love the earth as a whole, that self begins to expand to include the deeper self. Mm-hmm. And when, how we understand consciousness uh, is, is so far off from the reality of the things I've experienced on plant medicine, as well as in the conversations with Paul check and, you know, reading stalking the wild pendulum by Ishtek Bentoff, uh, and even just working out in the land in nature with, with Dr. Will Tegel who wrote walking with bears. And I know I'm listening to a ton of books right now, but all of these have influenced my understanding of how reality actually works. And to, to state that it that it's our job as individuals to hone ourselves is it can't be overstated and it sounds cliche but it is it is the way forward and from that to build community to centralize not worrying about decentralizing big banks and all that stuff but literally to centralize power with our own food our own clean water our own power and literally our own power so we're not you know, becoming an Amish community where we don't use electricity, but we are integrated with the grid, but not dependent upon the grid. I'm about to do a podcast here in an hour with a guy named Joyous Hart, who's working to do that very thing here in Texas. And I have a deep calling for that because of the fact that with that, we're allowed to then show a model of how things can work going forward. We're in tune as we heal ourselves, we heal the land and we care for the land that we're on that's reverberated with the as above, so below. And then that can be taken out as a model to other communities of like-minded individuals who feel that calling. It's not for everyone. You know, the thing that's helped me too through all this is something Shervin told me on the podcast, on my podcast, he's not here to wake up every sheep, you know, and that's not finger pointing or saying I'm woke or any of that shit. He's just said, I'm not here to wake up the sheep. I'm here to wake up the other sleeping lions. Mm. And to me that resonated as full as it gets because so true just like with plant medicines or anything, you can't grab someone's hand and take them to the altar. You can't, you can't force someone into the experience of transformation. They have to want it for themselves. And if each of us who are called to that and are called to learn um, the sad truth of what this world really is right now, we can then be empowered to understand that we have much more, much more power than we've ever given ourselves credit for. And with that, we can combine and form like Voltron and start to create change in the world. But it always starts with the self. Well said, man. So in that, so obviously we talked about, you know, with mental health, there's going to be a lot of people going through depression, right? There's going to be a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of suicides. There's going to be a lot of things, um, you know, that are going to come out of this. Any more lockdowns? So where I want to get go to next is really dive into how mental health and how psychedelics, plant medicine, can be a tool for the right individuals. Because the reality of it is there's going to be a lot of mental health issues. There's going to be a lot of shit happening. And I know in your life, you know, you came close to suicide. I lost my 18-year-old brother three years ago to suicide. You know, it's close to me. So whenever I hear anybody Anything to do with mental health in that conversation is really, you know, close to my heart. So I want to be able to give people the tools and be able to help people if they feel called to do it. So in that regard, like how can plant medicine and psychedelics be a tool? And I know I've learned so much from you about this. So maybe walk us through that for people that may not be as, 
you know, as knowledgeable about this in, you know, moving forward? Right. So the first thing to come up to, to understanding is that, you know, as, as suicides have increased due to job loss, financial issues, and, and ultimately fear around what's going to happen in the world, that wasn't created because of this. It's been exacerbated because of this, but that already existed right? We are, our mental health epidemic that we're in already existed before COVID already existed before the lockdowns and all the things that have transpired in 2020. It's been exacerbated. The cracks are being shown. Mm. And truthfully, when I talk about a sick care health system, a sick care system, um, there is no real validity to any SSRIs. And the reason for that is you are simply doing patchwork. The idea that all of a sudden I have a genetic disorder where my body doesn't produce enough serotonin is complete fucking quackery. It is absolute quackery. And one of the guys who I've really studied and learned from is Dr. Gabor Mate, who is up in British Columbia, Canada, who's been a licensed psychotherapist and psychologist and psychiatrist for decades, also has done hundreds of ceremonies with ayahuasca. He's led ceremonies. And one of the things that he found is that at the root of all addiction is trauma. And so no matter what you're working on, whether your brain is mirroring a side of depression and has low serotonin or whether you um, actually come to understand bits and pieces of your trauma, we all have addictions to all sorts of shit, whether that's TV, social media, sex, um, alcohol, cigarettes, you name it. We all have ways that we choose to self-medicate and we all have ways and we choose to numb our consciousness so we don't have to look at the stuff that's happened to us and the hardships that we faced. And what psychedelics have the ability to do is reveal that layer by layer, not all at once. You don't get the kitchen sink like any good therapist, ayahuasca or psilocybin knows. You don't tell the person on their first day, hey, you were raped when you were four, this shit happened to you, and here's how you solve that. It's too much. And so like peeling layers off of an onion, you work bit by bit. And the ability for that on a self-reflection level, on a healing level, and then, of course, on an exploratory level, just to answer questions, you know, basic questions on the nature of reality, basic questions on what God is, with intention, surrender, and the right set and setting we have the ability to explore those things and come to know them for ourselves. And it's not, um, you know, Ted Decker talked about this. He wrote 49th Mystic and Rise of the Mystics. Um, fantastic. One of my favorite humans on the earth. He talked about this. What religion has done is they have told us about the avocado. They've written about the avocado. They've described it. They've colored it for us. And, and if you, you know, I can tell you everything about an avocado. I can describe its flesh. I can describe the inside, the meat. I can describe the size of the seed, the texture, the flavor, all of these things. But until you eat an avocado, you have no idea what an avocado is. Mm. And psychedelics have been called entheogens, which translates to be in God. And it's not to say that all those experiences are God experiences, but certainly in the right container, they can be. And that is a way to know the divine in your own way. And it's uh, one of the beautiful things about them is that each ceremony is completely unique. If I give enough space between those journeys, I can guarantee it's going to be a unique experience that will continue to unfold my consciousness in a way that is expanding, in a way that is softening, in a way that allows me to live in the world in a very practical and beautiful way that makes me a better father, uh, 
a better husband, better at communication, you know, and, and through healing within, uh, to not continue any of those patterns that have been handed down from us generation after generation after generation onto the next generation. And that's very important that we do the work to clean up the messes that our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents left for us. It's our duty to do that. And I think psychedelics give us that avenue. Now, of course, it's not for everyone. And, and, and I don't mean that in the sense that like everyone on the planet, you know, some people can't have it, some people can. It's, it's that it is available to those who are ready. And there is a calling for those. And it will be more accessible down the road. Still, we find ourselves in a legal gray area, and that's a complication for a lot of people. And some of the Western medicine practices that have come along and done ketamine journeys are not really holding the same space that a Kudendero in the Amazon would, right? So we see some of this, um, you know, McDonald's drive-in, come get your fucking shot and then leave the room and 45 minutes later wake you up and tell you to drive home. That's not the way either, right? There needs to be respect and reverence when we think about these things because anytime you're doing psychic surgery, what these things are, you can do more harm than good. And a lot of people, you know, you talk to Anahata and different therapists that I've worked with, they've, they've been on the other side of that coin where they've seen more harm than good. And so intention must go past what you're trying to get out of it. It must also encapsulate what the entire container looks like, who's guiding, what music is being played. Is there a sense of safety and feeling held throughout the experience? Are the people that are guiding me through this experience qualified to do so? Or is it a, you know, a blue belt in jujitsu that's, that's running the show versus a black belt, somebody that's made it their life practice to guide me through this. I've, I've been guided from many different types of people and I've had beautiful experiences across the board, but I've seen people, you know, not being left more whole than when they started. I've seen people actually be injured through the experience and take months to unpack that. And, um, I think the, the better we come to understand the indigenous cultures that have worked with these medicines for thousands of years, the better we understand how to navigate them for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I highly recommend people make the pilgrimage. You know, I know it costs money and I know it takes time out of your schedule, but if you can make it to the Amazon to a spirit quest with, uh, you know, the late great Don Howard, where, where his space is still up and running blue Morpho down in Peru, or of course, Soltara in Costa Rica, which is my absolute favorite place. Um, I'm there. In no, I sat, going there yeah, in I said, Oh man, I'm pumped for you, brother. <laughs> I sat, I sat through a three hour orientation and, and I was dragging my heels to get there. The only reason I went is because I thought I'd look bad if I didn't show up. That's why I went and I was like, I've done 22 ceremonies. I don't need to sit in this fucking orientation. And I get there and an hour into it, I look at my wife, Natasha, and we we're both of us were like, if we had been here for our first ceremony, that would have changed the way we worked with all medicines. Really? The way they unpack in that orientation, how you work with the teacher ayahuasca, how you work with the consciousness that is in that medicine will impact every ceremony you do after that, no matter where you go, including the consciousness of psilocybin or the consciousness of ketamine. All of these things have their own, they're their own doorway into the divine. And when you understand how to work with them, it makes a world of difference in how your experience turns out, you know? Ultimately, in the end, we're all going to have hard experiences. doesn't matter if you think you had no trauma as a child or not. You're still going to get squeezed at different times. And the, there's beauty in that. There's beauty in that because it teaches us to surrender. Mm-hmm. And we're always in this paradox of what we intend to make happen within the world and what we need to surrender to. Because there's always something. It's not just our world. 
right? We always have things going on outside of us. There's always the external that we work in concert in the symphony of life with. And, and once we come to understand how we can intend and create and make manifest as co-creators on this planet, and at the same time, surrender to the how and when that happens and surrender to the all that is right now, that allows us to navigate with peace. And Ram Dass speaks about that. The, the, it is on the same line of polarity, clinging and aversion. If I have aversion to something I don't want to have happen, or if I cling to the good thing that I do want to have happen, that's still on that same line of polarity that looks different, that still equates to suffering. And when we come to understand that, we can begin to say, okay, I, I can intend, I can have goals, I can still try, but I'm not going to cling to outcome. And I'm not going to sit there and hold that thing so tight that I don't allow it to come through in a different way than I had planned. You know, and that really, that really gives us the, a point of setting our intentions and actually working towards those, but still being in a state of allowing the thing to take form in whichever way it will come and when it will come. You know, set and setting is so huge. And, you know, I, I realized that after doing Bufo 5-MEO and after that medicine, I was just like, I will not fuck around with this. Like after I had a beautiful experience, but I had just such a reverence and respect for that medicine that I'm like, oh, okay, I see. I get it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> I understand. And, you know, that's, that's really, people, people fuck around, man. And I really, that's the thing too, is you're right. And, and things like ayahuasca and, and all these different medicines just deserve a respect. You know, I haven't done ayahuasca yet, but I, I've been being called to it and, you know, going down to Saltar, I'm so glad that you say it's the best because <laughs> I'm excited for that, man. And I guess, so for the people that, the people that, you know, when you say called to it, and I talk about this all the time, like, what does it mean to be called to it? Because I'm trying to break it down for people that don't know all the lingo as much as we, as we know, but like, yeah, as far I mean, this, as this is, this yeah. is a great question. Cause it dives into some other things that I've been talking about throughout the, the, throughout the year in fit for service. One is how we, how we build this bridge to the high self, you know, uh, Eric Godsey calls this the daemon, you know, Carl Jung called it the daemon, uh, which I believe was a Greek word for the soul or the high self. And it's our ability to listen to that. Uh, and even, you know, look, taking that further into Christian language, it's that, that is moving into thy will rather than my will, right? That is the divine will is the will of the soul. And it's not the will of a white bearded man up in the sky behind pearly gates. It is literally the God, the, the highest form of you, the highest form of your soul that is here to direct your life. And then through free will, we can say, fuck off and do whatever we want. Or when we're on track, when we're following and, and we know we're on the path and it resonates through us, it's undeniable. And so it's building that intuition, our ability to listen to the high self, our ability to listen to the daemon that we come into our knowing. And it goes beyond belief. It's not, mm, yeah, that sounds right. Or, oh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Like, it has nothing to do with the rational mind. It has nothing to do with, it doesn't mean that we're not critical thinkers. It doesn't mean that we don't evaluate things. And it doesn't mean that we you know, no longer somehow supersede the inner critic, but it means that we have the ability to table the inner critic for a short while to receive the downloads. And then through that, we know that that thing sticks, right? We sleep on it and we wake up and feel the same way. And so a calling might be that inner knowing. It might be the high self speaking through you, the daemon speaking through you that says, now you're ready to do ayahuasca. 
and it goes beyond thought. It goes beyond, uh, yeah, I think I'll do this. It's like, no, no, no. I need to find a place. I need to look at dates and I'm going to purchase my flight and actually make that happen. And the coolest thing about consciousness, and maybe you can speak to this, is that consciousness knows we're not separate from one another. Ayahuasca knows you're sitting in January at Sultara. It knows you're going to have four nights. It knows you're going to start with Vomitivo where you drink a whole bunch of lemongrass tea until you throw up violently as a, as a way to purge and clean yourself prior to the experience. It knows every step of the equation. And as you start dieta, your sacrifice, your giving up of certain things to clean yourself out and become a hollow bone prior to arrival, it's already working in you. Your ability to download your ability to receive the gifts of that information and start to work on your intentions. All of that happens the moment you sign up. It doesn't happen the moment you drink the tea. It happens right now for you. And that too is undeniable. That too goes beyond, uh, man, I, I feel like I'm getting a lot of information right now. That's weird. It's, it's, it's the more you do this, the more you come to understand the way consciousness works and you understand that through this fabric that is completely interconnected, we have the ability to receive information at all times. You know, Paul Cech talks about that. All, all waveform, which is everything, uh, particles and waves, all waveform is energy and information, energy in formation. So packets, like little mm-hmm. download packets, and nature's communicating with us. The trees are communicating with us. This is like Avatar, but that's what it is. It's actually, it's not a movie. It's the real thing. Gaia is a real thing. Pachamama is a real thing. It's a super conscious being. The sun is communicating with us. All of this shit sounds far out and fantastic and weird and hippie shit. And I promise you, when you come to know it for yourself, it is absolutely undeniable. And quantum physics is starting to mirror this and understand. Science is trying to catch up to the knowledge the saints, the sages, and the indigenous have known for thousands of years. And as we begin to drop into that, we come to our deepest state of knowing and we can then begin to listen. We're building a bridge from ourselves, from our small self to the high self. And when we have access to that through meditation, through breath work, through any of these other means of altering our state of being, and we slow down enough to listen, then we gain that wisdom. And it's critically important right now that we begin to operate in that way. It's critically important because of fake news on every fucking side, because the mainstream media is a joke, because social media is a joke that is mm-hmm. absolutely squashing people, ripping them away from their page and, and curating information for us based on algorithms that gives us more of the same. It allows us to have bubble think. And until we can begin to decide for ourselves through our knowing, not through our thinking, from the heart, we will continue to brush up against the same problems. Yeah, brother. It's, I'm, yeah, all this, this journey, it's crazy. It's, it's as you start to, it's as you start to listen to the call, more, more of the same starts to come in and you start to pay attention. And I'm just, it's crazy when you start to listen and you start to pay attention. And it's kind of like, even in that soul wander, when you actually open your mind and just pay attention to what's in front of you, you really notice that things are speaking to you. Like you really notice that there's a mirror in nature and there's a mirror. And when you get quiet, until you get quiet, you're not going to be able to hear anything. <laughs> you know, like it's, and that's been such a big thing for me. And, and I really, dude, the last, the last year and just learning from you has been amazing. And I really, really appreciate it, dude. Like, and thank you so much for coming on the show and dropping so much value. It's always 
I love your podcast. I it's it's amazing. I've had uh, a few of the few of your guests on my show too, and I'm always like, yeah, I've had him. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always Beautiful, love it, brother. Beautiful. Yeah, brother. So thank you so much, man. And if you can give anybody, so out of all the, all the struggles and all the challenges, I always ask one last question with for adversity. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Hmm. Well, I'm I'm looking at this more on a macro level. I think you know when I when I went through the deepest part of depression and attempted suicide when I was 22 or 23, I looked back on that and I saw that I had no tools. You know, I had all of Western medicine's help. I had all of big pharma's help from Xanax to Valium to Vicodin to anything I could, anything I fucking wanted. They give me mm-hmm. none of that help. They were all band aids until I had the tools of how to access and work with plant medicines correctly. And even on a, on a more basic level, until I understood breath work, until I understood meditation, until I understood how do I quiet my mind? How do I reset myself? How can I just go to the ocean or go to a river and just chill and turn my mind off and see what comes up for me to really check in? And, and very simple habits, you know, like I, I go for a walk every morning with uh, my little daughter and a baby Bjorn on my chest and our dog. And I, I get up and I see the sunrise and every evening I go with the sunsets and I see Mars out there and Jupiter and whatever planets are in the, in out in the night sky at that part of the day or part of the part of the year rather. And this connects me back. It allows me to not be in my box. We're always in our boxes mentally and physically from the box of the home to the car, to the office, always a box. When you get out of that, you tune into something that's greater than yourself. You tune into that all-knowing, that information. And from those access points, the hundreds and hundreds of tools that I've started to add to my toolbox, through intuition, I know which ones to access. But without a single tool, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And that's why I try to take my life. And I think if adversity has taught me anything, it's the importance of having tools, the importance of having mentors, the importance of having someone to turn to and something to turn to, a skill that will help me shift my state of awareness. And with that ability, um, there's absolutely nothing that will ever take me back into that state of being. I know that through and through. And I can tell if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling the weight of the world, like right when quarantine happened and I was like, shit, Tasha's pregnant. She's second trimester. We're bringing a kid into the world right now. Shit's hitting the fan. And to relax into that process, to trust in the divine, to understand the divine timing, to understand that we chose, we choose our parents. We choose exactly the moment when we come onto this plane of existence. And that our little girl had chosen to come here right during this time by design, not by accident. You know, no mistakes. For four years, we tried to have her and she shows up on 4th of July on a full moon. It's undeniable. So when I, when I, when I come to know these things and look back in hindsight, it makes it very clear um, that there, there is a symphony that operates beyond my knowing and beyond my understanding. And as long as I have ways of tuning into that, I can remain calm. I can remain peaceful. And then I can be that peace in the world. Well said, brother. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. You got it, brother. Kyle Kings for everybody. Thanks, everybody. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to it. If you're watching this, go to YouTube. Subscribe there. Go check out Kyle's podcast. Also subscribe. Subscribing just means that you don't have to think about it when an episode comes. It ends up right in, your, in, right in the platform that you're listening to it. So it keeps things super easy. 
So once you get to know a show, you might as well subscribe so that you don't have to think about it, right? If you guys did get value from this, please share this with a friend. And I would always really appreciate a five-star review on Apple. It helps grow the show. The more reviews we have, the better. I love you guys. I hope you enjoyed this conversation about how do we get out of this chaos? What can we do as human beings to get out of this chaos that we're in? It all starts with ourselves. And also, if you are if you are struggling, mental health, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of people that are being going through things. Psychedelics could be a way. Again, it's not for everybody, but it could be a way to help you. So educate yourself, lean into that, and be open to whatever comes. Love you guys. We'll catch you next time.